What's going on, everybody? We're back again. Had a little technical difficulties. Uh, I'm not going to go through my whole spiel. I'm just going to get right to it. So, Carol, tell us a little about, a bit about yourself. Yes, yeah, so I'm uh, Carol Cruz. I'm currently the Chief Deputy Prosecutor for this district, so okay. Faulkner, Van Buren, and Searcy Counties. Okay. In that capacity, I handle most of the major crimes for the district, so okay. most of the capital murder cases, uh, crimes against children, uh, as well as managing a staff of about 30 people of attorneys and okay. support staff. Uh, I'm married to Jordan. We've been married since 2011, and we have one son, a three-year-old named okay. Jackson, right. and we live here in Conway. Okay. Why did you want to become a lawyer? Oh, that's a hard question. So, I just had an interest for uh, in public policy, okay. and uh, at this, when I was younger, I wanted to go into international law, which is funny now. Uh, but. In high school, I decided I wanted to go to law school. There are no lawyers in my family, so really? okay. um, I, I was on the debate team in high school, okay. um, which is probably not shocking for a lawyer. Right, um, right. Pretty nerdy, but yeah. um, and so I enjoyed public policy and uh, forensics and things like that. So okay. yeah. Right, so why are you seeking elected office? Well, like I said, I'm the chief deputy currently, and the open position, the, the head position, became open, uh, and so. I thought that it was the right thing to do for the community for me to run for that seat. Okay. Um, I've been serving the people of Faulkner County uh, for seven years and mm -hmm. handling most of the tough major crimes. And um, I thought it was uh, my duty to, to step up and run for the, the head spot. And I okay. intend to serve this district for a very long time as the elected prosecutor. Okay. What is uh, your experience uh, in your position as attorney and what has it taught you about being a lawyer? fighting for people who need justice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So a prosecutor is unique in so many ways. We're unlike other attorneys okay. um, in that our salary, our fee isn't contingent on winning or losing or taking a certain case. Um, it is our sole duty to seek justice, and that okay. looks different in every case. Okay. Justice can be a life sentence. Justice can be... Uh, probation, mm -hmm. justice uh, can be a dismissal if the evidence isn't there. Okay. And so as a prosecutor, we have the unique responsibility to evaluate each case individually uh, and determine what is the, the just outcome based okay. on the totality of the case. Okay. Uh, good. Uh, it kind of gets into my next question of you offering uh, what your definition of justice is. And so you're... You would say it's depending on the case and yeah. what's coming out of that. Justice is a, I think, in the American criminal justice system, it's mm -hmm. a fair outcome based on everything involved in the case. Okay. So both what the crime itself, as well as the defendant's background mm -hmm. and um, criminal history, and as well as um, taking into account the victim's situation, okay. um, what her certainly wishes are and, and desire, but also what what she went through, what the crime, what exactly happened in the crime, um, to find a just outcome. Okay. All right. Um, let's talk about due process. Um, you know, I, at the begin, at the opening of my monologue, I talked about the Sixth Amendment. Uh, how important is due process here in the United States, and in your role as a prosecutor? Due process 
sets us apart from every other country in the world, I would say, okay. as far as criminal justice is concerned. I used to teach at uh, criminal justice at University of Phoenix, okay. and what I uh, would encourage my students, and I'd even set aside a night for us to watch the show, I don't know if you've seen it, called Locked Up Abroad. Have you ever no, seen that no, show? No. So it's about Americans who are in other countries and commit a crime, usually drug-related, okay. and it showcases criminal justice systems in other countries. Mm -hmm. And now ours isn't perfect, and there are right. some areas that needs improvement. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would use this TV show to explain to my students um, the things in our system that we probably all take for granted. Okay. So you'd see in these shows it, it would feature someone who committed a crime and uh, maybe drug smuggling or something mm -hmm. like that. And they would uh, reenact what happened okay. and reenact the system. And so you'd hear stories like, uh, I was thrown into a cell, and I never saw a judge, and I never saw a, law, uh, saw a lawyer, and uh, months went by, and then finally someone came in the cell and told me what my sentence was, and told me what happened in my trial. Mm -hmm. And so I have all these American students in there going, wow, that's crazy, right? We know we have right to an attorney, a right to remain silent, a right to a jury, a right mm -hmm. to cross-examine uh, witnesses against us. Um, and a right to have a jury of our peers determine mm -hmm. both guilt or not guilt. Mm -hmm. And also in Arkansas, uniquely, uh, our sentence. We're one of the only states in America where the, the jury actually sentences, not the okay. judge. Okay. Um, and so due process is really the cornerstone of our, of our system okay. uh, because it protects the rights of the accused in a way that I would say other countries, even other Western countries, mm -hmm. um, don't. So it... I can't stress the importance of it enough. Okay. Um, and as a prosecutor, you know, we want to protect the defendant's rights. Mm -hmm. uh, and and one thing I didn't realize until I was a prosecutor is that um, we want the case, we want the conviction to stand up on appeal. Okay. And so there are many times in trial that we don't uh, make certain arguments we could make or may try to introduce certain evidence because if we think it's more of a gray area, mm -hmm. we want to reduce any mm -hmm. uh, issue on appeal. Okay. And so we explain it to our victims like we're protecting the case. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we want to protect the integrity of the case and the integrity of the process so that years down the road, it will it'll stand up and that the okay. victims will have closure in okay. that situation. Okay, yeah, you don't want to go through that process over and over and over. Yeah, that's right. In the right. situation. And, and the victims deserve to have their case heard yeah. and have finality mm -hmm. um, and and have um, confidence in the process, just okay. like the defendant does. Okay, good. Uh, once again, this is Dr. Philip Fletcher. I'm here with Carol Cruz, who is running for the position of prosecuting attorney for the 20th Judicial District. Uh, if you have a question for Ms. Cruz, you can just comment in our Facebook section right here, and we'll be glad to take it. We're talking about criminal justice. And so... Uh, Ms. Cruz, um, uh, what are your, give us some thoughts on the relationship between uh, incarceration and persons in low-income status. Any, what have you seen from that, uh, your professional experience, personal experience? So I would say it's going to depend on what part of the country you're in and okay. what part of the state. Um, and the biggest thing that stands out to me as a prosecutor is my victims are usually from the same socioeconomic status as the defendant. Okay. And so we see criminals offending on people that live in their neighborhood, okay. that are similarly situated, mm -hmm. who look like them. Um, and so um, there, there, there might be a correlation there, but from my perspective, um, we see our victims really representing the same 
socioeconomic status as we see the defendants. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, mandatory minimum sentencing. Uh, are you involved in any of that in any way? What are your thoughts on that? Mm -hmm. So mandatory minimum sentencing is generally a concept in federal court. Okay. And so I've spent my entire career in state court. Okay. I've never practiced in federal court. Okay. Um, in state court, we have uh, penalty ranges that the legislature sets okay. for every classification of a felony. Okay. Uh, and again, we're one of the only states in America where the jury gets to determine the sentence. So no judges at all. It's, he, throw, he or she throws it to the jury. So. Okay. So, so in Arkansas, the jury um, makes a recommendation, and the judge can accept or or reject it. But I, I, judges don't usually do that. Okay. It's, it's generally um, the jury's recommendation okay. is accepted by the court. That's okay. right. And so we're one of the only states in America where that happens. And so what we see is the community gets to decide. The community of the defendant's mm -hmm. peers gets to determine um, certainly whether he's guilty or not guilty. Mm -hmm. But then even what is the appropriate penalty range based on all the facts and circumstances set before the jury. And so we don't have mandatory minimum sentences. Okay. Uh, there are a couple of instances in Arkansas where there are, um, I guess, what could be considered a mandatory minimum, and they're on um, violent offenses that okay. are considered strike offenses, like okay. aggravated robbery, mm -hmm. murder in the first degree, uh, wife felony kidnapping. There's a couple of those um, where if you or commit, let's say you commit aggravated robbery and then you do your time and you commit another one, then there is some mandatory time there, but uh, but it's rare in Arkansas. Okay. So do you, uh, as a prosecutor, do you look at uh, those penalty ranges that's set by the legislature? Mm -hmm. um, and what is that, do you look at the evidence and say, this is what we're going for, is that mm -hmm. how it usually works? So we look at the evidence, certainly, okay. uh, to determine if we should even file the case. Okay. Uh, one thing that, that we've done since I've worked in Faulkner County is we've implemented a policy where on major cases, violent crimes and crimes against children, sexual crimes, okay. we'll have two attorneys actually review the file before we file formal charges. Okay. In the past, uh, the prosecutor's office was kind of a rubber stamp for whatever charges law enforcement wanted to, to uh, us to file. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong, we usually do agree with law enforcement, okay. uh, but there have been some circumstances particularly in some sexual cases and homicide okay. cases, that we've reviewed it and determined that maybe it was a justified homicide mm -hmm. um, or that the elements weren't met for. So uh, it's really important for the prosecutors to review the evidence and mm -hmm. be very careful. You, know, you sign your, piece of, your, piece, your name to a piece of paper in Arkansas, we okay. don't use grand juries. Uh, you charge somebody with a crime, okay. and that's a that's a serious that's a serious thing to do. Yeah. Um, and so that's a that's something that I will continue as elected prosecutor is having a system where we review the file before we even file the charges to make sure we're following the same thing. So so I guess to answer your question, we would look at the evidence certainly, and then we would also look at um, what the victim's wishes are, okay. and uh, as well as. What's the defendant's criminal history, and then just history in general? What's his? Where's he coming from? Right? What's his background? Um, and then the last thing I would say that I look at is um, what are some similar cases that we put in front of a Faulkner County jury, and what has the jury determined to be an appropriate sentence? Because at the end of the day, the prosecutor is working for the people. Uh, and we do want to know what the, how the community feels about certain types of crimes. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we see the juries up here give more lenient sentences for younger people, um, okay. even if they commit a violent crime, but, but some younger people that um, 
have a, a less than ideal background or have a, a drug problem is okay. sort of the basis of their of their criminal conduct. Um, we've seen some some more lenient sentences from juries on those. Um, so that's just an example. Okay. What is it like? You know, you say you take evidence into consideration. Uh, you know, you've got uh, as far as possible sentencing uh, evidence and consideration. You know, what the law says, and then the victim. Uh, what is that like? Uh, what's that discussion like? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great yeah. question. So uh, we sit down with our victims mm -hmm. from the very get go and explain the process to them. Mm -hmm. uh, most people have never been a victim of a crime. They didn't ask to be a victim of a crime. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uncharted territory for them. Yeah. And so I can't ever promise them a certain outcome, but mm -hmm. we explain the process. We're upfront about how long uh, it usually takes um, and uh, understand the legal process. And then also we guarantee them, I always guarantee them two things, that I'll work as hard as I can mm -hmm. to get a just outcome and then number two, that they'll always hear about anything that happens in the case from me and my office before it's on Facebook or on the news yeah. or anything like that. And so, uh, to, so that the victim understands that he or she really has a voice in the process and a role in the process. And then we walk through the case with them, the weaknesses of the case, the strengths of the case. And then in, in our experience, what we think, uh, if we were to try this case to a jury, what we think the jury would do. Um, the hardest part for usually for a victim is the fact that if we have a trial, he or she has to get on the stand and testify. Oh. Particularly difficult when a child is a victim. Okay. You see on Law and Order or other TV shows that uh, the, the prosecutor will play a statement, right. maybe play a recorded statement that law enforcement took. Yeah. But that's that doesn't happen. The rules of evidence require that oh, really? the victim actually get on the stand. That's right. And so. What is that? What is that like? So you, you can imagine for a yeah. child how difficult that would be um, to to speak speak in public. I think that's a fear that even adults have. Right. Um, and, and not only that, but to do so in front of the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. uh, in the courtroom, in trial, is usually the first time that the victim has seen the perpetrator okay. since either the crime happened or since it was reported. Yeah. Um, and then there's 12 people in a jury box and a judge in a big courtroom. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that we have done that's unique in Arkansas, too, is that we were the first prosecutor's office to have a courthouse dog. Have you heard of our courthouse yeah, dog? Yeah, I've heard... heard uh it mentioned actually in a previous meeting I was in. Talk about that dog. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. So we have Barb, the courthouse dog. Okay. Anyone watching should come by and meet her sometime. She's a victim services on our first floor at the Justice Building. But I had two cases with child rape victims um, where it was so difficult for the child to get through his or her testimony um, that we almost weren't able to get the case to the jury mm -hmm. because the child has to get on the stand and not just be in face the person who abused him, but has to talk about very graphic, the very graphic terms what happened. Okay. I'll never forget, as a new prosecutor, the first time I saw an anatomically correct doll, and I asked one of the other prosecutors, well, what's that about? It looked like a doll, like a child would play with, but it had real body parts. Okay. And it was explained to me that the reason was that a child has to get on the stand and be able to articulate the elements, the legal elements of rape or sexual assault. Okay. And um, so we, we use pictures or dolls sometimes for the little children to be able to do that. So we take into account how traumatic yeah. it will be for the victim. 
Um, and so I had one case just briefly where a, a step, live-in stepdad, they weren't married, but a live-in boyfriend had been molesting her over the period of several years and she had a disability. Uh, and so I, I, to this day, believe one reason he victimized her was because he didn't think she would tell or didn't think anyone would believe her. Um, and she had a breakdown on the stand and um, I was worried that we weren't even gonna be able to get through, her, for her to be able to get through her testimony. And then we had another one who, uh, a little boy whose dad had been raping him. And on cross-examination, the defense lawyer said, well, you're, you want this jury to believe that, that your dad was doing this and you went along with it for all these years. That, and, and the little boy looks at the attorney and said, well, I didn't know it was wrong because it was my dad doing it. Um, and so out of those two cases where we saw children have to get on the stand and, and hardly even be able to get through their testimony because it's so traumatic, yeah. we found out about this courthouse dog program. Okay. And so what it is is it's a dog who's trained to uh, meet with the victim leading up to trial, mm -hmm. and she actually uh, lies at the feet of the, the victim up in the okay. witness box, and okay. she doesn't make a sound, and she doesn't, she just, she lays down, doesn't, yeah. the jury doesn't see her, um, but we usually tell the kids to take their shoe off and, and rub uh, her with their feet, mm -hmm. and so it's a, it's a shot of bravery, it's a, it's a comfort to the yeah. child not to have to go up there alone, yeah. and now we're seeing other offices in the state uh, getting a dog themselves uh, to be able to assist yeah. their victims. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah. Have you ever uh, had to ex explain to somebody you wouldn't be able to take the case uh, because of evidence? Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. What is that like? So that's a, and I appreciate that question because yeah. that's probably the hardest part of my job. Okay. Is um, when either there's not enough evidence and we don't think a crime occurred but the victim does, and we have to explain that to him or her. Okay. But sometimes we do think a crime occurred, we just don't have enough evidence. Okay. And it's our ethical duty not to go forward, even if we believe something happened, mm -hmm. if there's not enough evidence to go forward. Okay. We had a, a baby with 17 broken bones one time, but we couldn't prove who did it. Clearly, somebody did something to this yes. baby. Um, and so that's one of the most difficult parts as a prosecutor. And it really sh showcases why it's important to have a prosecutor that has experience and okay. who's done this time and time again mm -hmm. uh, because it's it is a it's a big responsibility whether or not to file charges against somebody um, and we have to be able to know when it's appropriate and when it's not and to do the right thing okay. and not just the popular thing. Yeah. That's good. Uh, once again it's Dr. Philip Fletcher. I'm here with Carol Cruz and we are discussing Criminal Justice, Carol is running for the open position for prosecuting attorney for the 20th uh, Judicial District. And if you have a question, please uh, chime in uh, with a question for Ms. Cruz and we'll be happy to take it. Uh, let's talk about, uh, I've had questions people talk to me about with uh, mental illness. Mm -hmm. And running mental illness or not with uh, homeless uh, persons in low income situations and you know, mental illness knows no um, economic or social right. uh, boundary. Um, talk, of, talk to us about that. Uh, how can we help those um, with mental illness but who have also uh, committed a crime? Uh, what, mm -hmm. Where do you see your role as a prosecuting attorney mm -hmm. in that? Well, I would say first that's where a lot of the discretion that the prosecutor has comes okay. into play. Okay. Um, that just because we have the evidence doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing to do to go mm -hmm. forward. But now the, the legislature has set out uh, in statute what it means to not be fit 
um, not to be fit to proceed or not be competent to proceed, not be able to understand and appreciate the criminality of your conduct. So that, that's laid out very specifically. And there's a procedure uh, that either side, prosecutor or the defense, or the court on its own okay. um, can ask for the defendant to have a, what's called an Act Three evaluation, okay. a mental health evaluation. Okay. Um, and we see that a, a fair amount. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not very common, but it does happen. Um, I have one right now uh, that is, is a murder case. It was a, a domestic homicide, um, and the judge found that he was not fit to proceed, and so he's in the okay. state hospital right now um, getting treatment to see if we'll be able to go forward or not. But um, Mental illness does play a role in our country, and it's, it's something that uh, people in, in criminal justice need to, to think about, uh, mm -hmm. and it's important. And we see it in, in our victims as well, okay. um, and we see victims being preyed upon because they do have a mental illness. Mm -hmm. And so I see my job in that situation to, to really protect them and to be a voice for someone who otherwise really doesn't What recommendations, which, from, from your standpoint, what recommendations would you have for families who have somebody that is uh, suffering with mental illness, um, how can they better care for them either so that they don't commit a crime or mm -hmm. that they're not the victim of, mm -hmm. of a crime? Yeah. How, how can you speak to that? Yeah, so our office handles involuntary mental commitments, and okay. so we, uh, we see families that come in and say, my son is schizophrenic, for example, okay. and I'm scared of him. He's but, but he's, he's not taking his medicine properly, and I can tell a difference when he is and when he isn't. Mm -hmm. And so we actually represent the petitioner in those situations in court to present the evidence to the judge, and he can make a determination to involuntarily commit that person for treatment okay. um, in a way to protect both the individual himself and, as well as his family members. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we do those three times a week, and so we see really? a lot of it. Yeah, really? that's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's separate and apart from a criminal case. Right, that's right. a civil proceeding, but, this, but it's, the statute allows that the prosecutor's office stands in that role of the petitioner. So, so people have a, so that's a resource people have. Because um, I run into people who don't, just, they don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, and uh, I guess that person gets evaluated prior that's, to the... That's right. There's okay. a, a screening process okay. done with counseling associates. Uh, and then the screener comes to court and gives the court a recommendation of whether okay. or not the legal standard, because think about it, you're involuntarily committing right. someone, so you're taking away their liberty, and that's, yeah. that's serious. Yeah. Uh, and so the determination for the judge is, is that person a danger to himself or others? Okay. And if the court finds that he is, then the court has a legal authority to involuntarily commit him for a, okay. a short period of time okay. for evaluation and treatment. Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, so, uh, moving forward, uh, I want to talk about recidivism uh, for a minute. Uh, the governor, uh, during his first term, uh, he had a big push to reduce recidivism in Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, stop basically the revolving door of people coming in and out of jail, in and out of prison system. Um, you know, as a prosecutor, um, I know it's your role to, you know, get the case and seek justice, mm -hmm. basically. Um, what recommendations would you have if you were sitting across the table from the governor to reduce recidivism? Really, you know, reducing your workload. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, um, for this county, let me tell you what works. Mm -hmm. It's a two-sided approach. Okay. Violent criminals uh, who have demonstrated to the community that they will hurt other people mm -hmm. uh, with no regard for anybody else, mm -hmm. and particularly that they'll do it repeatedly, 
those people need to go you know, need to go to prison for a long time and, and know that that is a possibility before they commit the crime. Law enforcement knows who those people are. They usually have uh, some idea of who's committing you know, violent crimes time and time again. So those people need to be aggressively prosecuted. But the flip side of that is uh, in juvenile court, okay. uh, we need to, and we are in this county, yeah. um, have extensive programs that keep them from ever getting into that first category yeah. I mentioned. Mm -hmm. So once I have a pending murder case, that's not a time for programs, right? I have, right. I have, a, I have a dead victim yeah. whose family deserves justice. Yeah. Um, but I know that if we can get to them before they commit mm -hmm. a crime like that, then they're less likely to ever be in that situation. Mm -hmm. So in juvenile court, we've been uh, proud to, to uh, pair with Judge Braswell right. and the fantastic things he's yeah. doing in juvenile court where we've seen recidivism uh, decrease by 30% in juvenile court. So as a prosecutor, I'm here telling you I'm happy that we're filing fewer cases in yeah. juvenile court, yeah. and fewer cases in juvenile court equals fewer cases in adult court. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my husband and I were some of the first attorneys to volunteer here in town in teen court when mm -hmm. he relaunched that program several years ago. So we see things like teen court and the different mentoring programs mm -hmm. that juvenile court's doing yeah. here we are seeing that actually transform these juveniles' lives mm -hmm. and then they don't end up committing a violent crime later. Mm -hmm. The other part of that is uh, drug court. Yeah. Um, I, I, my reputation among law enforcement is that I'm as tough as I come as a prosecutor, um, but I am a huge proponent of drug court. Okay. And the reason why is because it works. Mm -hmm. And so we have people who, not, they're not selling drugs, they're not trafficking drugs, like a different approach for those yeah. people. They're just people who have become addicts, mm -hmm. and that can happen to any of us. Mm -hmm. uh, rich, poor, wherever you live, we see it across the board. Um, and so these are people who, to even to get into drug court, you have to demonstrate that you want to participate in the program mm -hmm. and that you're willing to participate. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's quite... Yes, it is. We I, see defendants, I know about it. Yeah. You know about it. We see yeah. defendants say, I don't want to do that. It's too much work. Yeah. So they're people who demonstrate they want to put in the extra work, want to participate. Um, and then we see great results, mm -hmm. and we see lives that are transformed, that are going down the wrong path toward committing other crimes that would put them in the first category where we have to prosecute them. Uh, and so programs like that are how we reduce recidivism. Mm -hmm. We have to be tough and aggressive on mm -hmm. those senseless, violent crime, repeat offenders, mm -hmm. and we have to have a, a space for mercy and for mm -hmm. rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. um, so again, it goes back to having a prosecutor who is handled thousands of cases and has seen it all and has the judgment um, to know when when to, to give mercy and when to when to be tough. That's good. That's good. Uh, so you get elected in what, 19 days? Lord Who's Lord? counting? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, a, what, what will a prosecuting attorney's office look like led by Carol Bruce? Well, I appreciate that question. Yeah. Um, the best part of my job and the part that I'm the most passionate about is being in court, personally handling tough cases. Mm -hmm. um, while I've been running for office, I've been lead counsel on two capital murder cases okay. in this district. Uh, I didn't. I had to step away from the campaign trail so that mm -hmm. I uh, gave the victims' families the justice mm -hmm. and the attention that they deserved. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an example of leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that I'm going to continue to do that as the elected prosecutor, to be in court, to be accessible. Um, the defense bar is going to be used to seeing me in court. They already are. Um, and the other thing is there are some, some new initiatives, some things that we've started 
uh, in the spring, we had the first ever Compassion Court in Faulkner yeah. County. I don't know if you heard yeah. about that, but so what it was is we just grabbed together um, some judges and prosecutor and city attorney and defense attorney and posted it at some of the um, shelters in town and said we were reaching out to people who have outstanding warrants, but for nonviolent, you know, failure to pay, outstanding fines and fees, largely homeless population that are looking over their shoulders and yeah. shying away from interaction with law enforcement because of this warrant. And we said, this is a non-threatening environment. Come in here. Let's just get it taken care of. Because a lot of times having a warrant like that keeps them from being able to get a job or to get a, a permanent right. residence. Right. Um, and so we got a great response from the community mm-hmm. doing that. And I think we helped some people. Um, and I plan to do things like that okay. regularly um, okay. to try to help those that need just a little bit at the bottom yeah. um, to get them out from under uh, the shadows of having something like that hanging yeah. over their head. Um, and so I, I was proud to be a part of that, looking forward to doing more things like that for the community. Okay, good. Anything else you would add? Totally. Um, I'd just say that um, prosecuting attorney is not, it's not really a political position. Like mm-hmm. you hear, there's a lot of, a lot of races going on right now, signs all over town. This isn't about Republican or Democrat. It's mm-hmm. not about where you stand on a certain issue and just going and casting a ballot. It is an executive position um, where if, God forbid, any of your viewers um, are a victim of a, of a violent crime or their children are, um, the question for the voters on November 6th is, if your child is, is abused, if your family member is killed, um, who do you want the prosecuting attorney to be? Um, we run nonpartisan now, and that's because it has nothing to do with politics. Yeah. It has everything to do with judgment and experience and discernment. Mm-hmm. And I'm the only candidate in the race who's ever uh, prosecuted a murder case or ever prosecuted a child rape case. And I would say that uh, the residents of Faulkner County deserve to have a prosecutor who's done it time and time again and has a record um, that the community can look at that I have uh, gotten good results. Um, and have protected this community from some from some uh, bad people, uh, while also being able to extend some mercy to people who need it. So I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be endorsed by the sheriff, but also have the support of the local defense bar. I think that says a lot if you're tough enough for law enforcement, um, but fair and ethical enough for the defense lawyers in town. So um, that's a reputation I'm proud, I'm proud of and I've worked on a long time. And everybody watching, I'd be honored to have your vote uh, on November 6th for prosecuting attorney. Thank you, Thank you for having me, Dr. Fletcher. I Thank appreciate you. that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This has been Humanity Matters, a resource of City of Hope Outreach, discussing and reflecting on the theology, philosophy, leadership, and nonprofits. For more information, visit our website, coho58.org. Like us on YouTube at Humanity Matters. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play and Spotify. And remember, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Take care. God bless. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Dr. Philip Fletcher, and wanted to provide some reflections on Meet the Candidates and other stuff. Just completed the last discussion with Carol Cruz, who is running for the 20th Judicial District here in Faulkner County in Searcy and Van Buren, and really appreciated her participation. I really appreciated participation of all the candidates 
uh, who sat down with me over the last few months as we discussed particularly uh, poverty as it relates to Arkansas. And uh, we talked with uh, persons that were running for city council, uh, persons that were running for justices of the peace, uh, was able to meet with those who are running for state rep, state senate, was able to sit down with both of the governor candidates, uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson and Jared Henderson, was able to meet with and sit and talk with uh, Congressman French Hill, as well as the two uh, persons who are running for the prosecuting attorney's office in Carroll Cruz and Zach Thromberry. I will have to say that overall, uh, these are men and women, first of all, who are demonstrating uh, some great courage and uh, a willingness to uh, do something for other people and, and serving their community and uh, their city and state uh, and nation uh, as elected officials. I think it is a very uh, humbling task to be able to put yourself out there uh, to open yourself to criticism as well, uh, negative criticism as well as positive criticism, uh, to be able to answer tons of questions, to be able to shake hands and meet with all types of different persons uh, for uh, an extended period of time. And now they are coming to the end of their journey and obviously uh, one of them will uh, be elected to office and the other or their opponent uh, will continue uh, with life. And so I have to celebrate them. I salute uh, each and every one of those men and women who have chosen uh, to throw their hat in the ring, as it is traditionally said, to uh, be elected officials. Uh, the second thing that I learned is uh, in regards to a discussion on poverty in Arkansas, uh, one of the reasons I sought to do these discussions is because Arkansas is one of the uh, poorest states in the, in the Union. And it is important, uh, I think, that we talk more about how uh, poverty is going to be ad addressed in Arkansas. That includes homelessness, that includes uh, education, it includes uh, jobs, it includes the amount of money somebody is making, it includes health care, it includes all of these things that are associated with men and women in low income uh, situations. And I am uh, thankful for the opportunity to be able to propose those questions to these men and women specifically because I think a lot of times uh, during elections, um, issues of poverty get lost in uh, discussions about foreign policy, it gets lost in discussions about uh, the economy, it gets lost in um, other discussions while uh, millions of men and women across the United States and more specifically uh, the thousands of men and women uh, here in our state are continuing to fight to make it uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. It is a, a hard thing for a person to wonder where they are going to sleep tonight. It is a hard thing for a person to figure out how they're going to feed themselves and even more so how they're going to feed their family members, uh, how they're going to uh, deal with a health situation or uh, when a health situation comes about, uh, whether the financial strain on them is going to put them on the streets. And so uh, it is very important, I thought, to hear specifically 
uh, from these men and women about uh, their thoughts on poverty, uh, how they would uh, address poverty if they get elected to office, uh, and then also how they could work together. I think one of the things that we can consider is um, how can city and county officials work together to address poverty? How can county and state officials work uh, more uh, to address poverty in the areas? I think it's important that uh, we continue to think um, on a more quote-unquote global scale uh, to address uh, poverty as it relates to uh, citizens in Arkansas. Uh, third, I thought it was important as well to be able to sit down with men and women uh, from different vantage points. Um, I didn't ask uh, on the videos uh, were uh, the, their party affiliation. I, on my research, I knew their party affiliation, uh, but that was not the point of my discussions. But I, I knew their, their, their particularly, uh, in generally, excuse me, in generally, um, their candidacy and the party that they were voting, uh, they were representing. Now, I also understand that particular platforms take particular directions in how they're going to address poverty. And so obviously, uh, a democratic, more progressive uh, position, platform, uh, understands that poverty has to be addressed with more government involvement. Uh, those that are more... Uh, who have party that is Republican, has a more conservative viewpoint, uh, their position is uh, less government involvement, uh, more free market uh, to address uh, issues uh, in related to poverty. Now, with that said, both sides, and also I'd like to add, even though there was no candidate like this, Libertarian, Green, uh, everybody has got something good to bring to the table with a little bit of massaging, with a little bit of nuance, I believe everybody has something good to bring to the table. And what gets lost in listening to those solutions, lost my connection, all right, there it is. Um, what gets lost is people hear party and then the solution that is put forward is kind of just dismissed, it is, um, Ignored, And I think it is incumbent upon us to really listen to the solution, evaluate the solution uh, as it relates to um, the area in which we live. And so I adopt a, a, an idea which is called subsidiarity, and that's how can something be done at the lowest level. And so if we look at a Democratic solution or a Republican solution uh, or whoever solution, um, Will it work best at a city level? Now, if we move higher and we need a little bit more help, how will that help at a, at a county level? How will that help at a state level? And so I think it's important as we move forward that we do some hard work, some hard intellectual work to, one, remember that uh, these solutions are meant to address people and their life experiences. Uh, we're not seeking to address policy, but what we're trying to address is people and their lived experiences. And so I think we have to keep that in the forefront uh, of not trying to win a, an argument, not trying to win a debate, not try to uh, say, hey, let me poke, poke my chest out and say, hey, um, I have the better idea. But we have to remember first and foremost that any of our solutions are meant to 
uh, hopefully advance uh, the human flourishing of men, women, and children in Conway, in Faulkner County, in the state of Arkansas. Uh, second, I think we need to remember that the people who are offering the solutions, they are persons as well. Um, it is very easy to dehumanize, to denigrate, to uh, objectify someone if you view them as less than a person. And so it's easier to uh, argue with somebody, to call somebody a name, to do something that makes them feel less than if you view that person as less than a human being. And so I remind everybody, especially in these next uh, few weeks, uh, especially with someone that you may not agree with regarding their solution, please remember that they are people, that they are human beings made in the image and likeness of God. Um, the third thing I'd like to remind is this is, once again, uh, let's bring people to the table because solutions need some massaging. You know, none of us have the sil silver bullet, but when we bring multiple people together at the table, I think at that very moment, there is the opportunity for collaboration to happen. There's an opportunity for participation to happen. There's an opportunity for imagination and creativity to happen in order that we could help out people. I'm not concerned about party. I'm not concerned about platform. Uh, what we need to be concerned about is people, everyday people who get up uh, in the morning and who are trying to uh, improve their lives. And, and I, I would hope that everybody would be considerate of that, that the person across your table, that Republican person, they are just like you. That Democratic person is just like you. That person who has progressive tendencies, they are just like you. That person who has conservative tendencies, they are just like you. There are men and women made in the image and likeness of God. And if we could somehow harness and remember that, I, I believe we will be a lot better for it. Uh, the next thing that I learned during this Meet the Candidate series is um, that there are those that um, take their positions personally and um, they don't want you to say anything. And so I'm going to give a, a, a personal reflection uh, that happened recently um, dealing with a couple of the candidates uh, I, I believe it's important uh, that those who have no voice have a voice. I believe it's important that those who uh, don't have the opportunities like I do to be able to sit here and, and talk to you, uh, find men and women about what's going on, I think it's important that somebody uh, be a voice for them. I have privilege. You know, I have academic privilege. I have professional leadership privilege. I have privilege of knowing people. Um, and so I want to leverage that privilege for the sake of other people who don't have that opportunity. And, and, and recently, um, it, it's important that when ideas are put out, uh, those, those ideas are open to critique, positive critique and negative critique. And, and I'm all for that. Uh, I expect for myself to be critiqued. Uh, because I believe that makes me a better person. Uh, it causes me to go back to reflect more, to read more, to write more, 
to think more on how I can be uh, more thoughtful in a loving way and then uh, address men and women in a manner that aligns with this whole thing I talk about with humanity matters. So um, that's important to me. But, you know, uh, any thought and idea can be really challenging once you have to put it into practice. Um, Last week, uh, you know, there was a critique about uh, two of the candidates that I interviewed that they were not willing to sit down for a debate uh, that was supposed to happen here in town, sponsored by our local newspaper. Uh, And the publisher of that newspaper chose uh, to write an opinion piece. um, And I had chose, after writing, uh, after reading that opinion piece, to essentially say, hey, I will bring you guys to the table and uh, maybe we can have a discussion that way if it wasn't going to happen in the originally uh, planned format that was supposed to happen last Monday. Uh, Needless to say, um, the publisher's husband was not uh, happy about the critique of the the article um, and chose to say that I was being uh, disrespectful to uh, his wife, which uh, I don't believe I was. You can go back and watch the videos. It's on my Facebook in which I talked about the critique. Um, Needless to say, um, you know, I don't do everything right. I don't get everything right as a human being. uh, But what I have endeavored to do is seek to treat everybody as a human being. Once again, uh, approach everybody Uh, knowing that objectively they are men and women made in the image and likeness of God. What uh, put me off and challenged, uh, you know, loving your neighbor, viewing everybody as made in the image and likeness of God, was um, just the intimidation that he was seeking uh, to put forth, uh, not just on Facebook, but also texted me on my phone, uh, to which I blocked him, and then uh, I kind of forgot about it, and then I was in a meeting yesterday, and then the text messages showed up on my computer. My computer and my phone are linked. Uh, so I blocked it on my phone, but it continued to roll up on my computer, and it, and it showed some uh, other things as well. Um, and, and I didn't know he continued to send text messages uh, but it showed up on my computer. And so I read through them, and I'll be honest with you, I was hot. Clear confession. Uh, I was uh, hot. And, uh, you know, so what do you do about that? Uh, I continually, you know, I get a lot of interesting messages from people uh, disagreeing with me, and, uh, you know, I've been you know, called the N-word by some people, I've been told to leave by other people, you know, it is what it is. Uh, You know, this one kind of bothered me for some other reasons. One, because uh, I critiqued a writing, not a person. Uh, Secondly, uh, the individual chose to uh, push the limits of civility uh, to uh, a point that I, my tolerance level, uh, didn't like. Um, uh, you know, I was accused of, well, quote, I'm not a martyr, which I'm not trying to be, 
Um, I like life. I like my wife and kids. I'm trying to live a long life, so I'm not trying to be a martyr. Um, I was, you know, told I do have no effect on the community, which, okay, fine. Uh, God is my judge, uh, not man, and so that is what it is. But it, it had me realize, uh, once again, how did we get to this place um, to where we cannot even have uh, thoughtful, intellectual discussion and critique uh, with a person or with a, a writing or with a video to where people want to make it so personal. Um, and it, it seems as if, and I said this before in a previous post, it seems as if people just want conflict. They want uh, some level of, uh, of, of violence, maybe verbal, maybe physical, I don't know, uh, to happen that uh, there seems this desire, this incessant need to want to shame uh, people when, in, in fact, I think the large majority of the people in the world, or let me say this, there's a study that just came out that um, recently that, that we have these extremes that are happening in our country, this tribalism where uh, there's about 8% on the left and 6% on the right. But that everybody in the middle is trying to be like, hey, how can we fix this? But we're being directed by this 14%, this 8% on the left side, the 6% on the right side. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out, and that's probably been part of this Meet the Candidates, is how do we change that? We need to be able to model civil discussion. We need to be able to model being uh, loving to one another. Uh, we need to be able to model uh, being able to listen to one another. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason I heard somebody say once. And so I think it's important for us, and I think it begins at home, uh, to be able to lovingly listen to one another in a way that is going to move us forward as a society. Um, I wrote a poem once that said, you know, I stand outside watching elephants and donkeys basically trying to tear our country apart. Um, and I think if we stood outside and looked at what's happening, um, I think we would be able to move forward in a more productive and healthy manner. And so, uh, as I close, I would tell everybody this. One, you are deeply loved. You are deeply loved by God because he has made you in his image and likeness. You are crowned with glory and honor, as it says in Psalms uh, chapter 8. You are creative. You are imaginative. You have the capacity to forgive. You have the capacity to be merciful. You have the capacity uh, to do uh, good and loving things uh, for other individuals. And so I would hope that you would begin there. And then I would hope that moving beyond there, that you would understand that we're all in the same boat. As Martin Luther King said, we, you know, we're all in the same boat. We will all... Uh, uh, Live together as brothers, but par or perish together as fools. And um, I don't think we need to be foolish. I think, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of our economic, social, or political uh, positions, that we can come together uh, as human beings 
in order to love one another in a manner that is God-glorifying and that advances the flourishing of human beings. And so I would encourage everybody, especially those that are going to participate in voting, uh, that you go out and you do your, you do your duty, vote, uh, and continue to love one another. For those of you that don't want to vote, okay, that's your freedom. Uh, but continue to love one another. Uh, for those that know someone who uh, you vehemently disagree with, just find opportunities to love. Uh, I'm swallowing my uh, my need to pay somebody back for the way they talked about me and treated me publicly. I'm swallowing that because something is more important, and that is is loving one's neighbor. Neighbor, and so I would hope that uh, as the great teacher Jesus Christ, the risen one, would say that we would uh, love one another, that we would demonstrate mercy, that we would get off of our horse, we get off of our comfort, that we put ourselves in a position to love other people, and, and God will be glorified. And so you guys have a great weekend. i got a fundraiser to hold tomorrow, the Golden Gala. Hey, Hope you can be there. If not, make a donation. Um, everybody's been great. So I just want to thank all the candidates to see if I can run them uh, down. I want to thank Renee Henderson. I want to thank Sheila Whitmore Isby. I want to thank uh, Tara Ward. I want to thank Spencer Hawks. I want to thank uh, Andy Hawkins, Jason Rayford, Maureen Singleton, Governor Asa Hutchinson. Uh, Jared Henderson, Congressman French Hill, Carol Cruz, Zach Throneberry. Is there anybody that I've missed? I don't think so. I think that's everybody. Christy Berry, I said to you. I think that's everybody. If I miss somebody, charge it to my head, not to my heart. Uh, and so you guys uh, have a blessed weekend, and I will talk to you soon. Take care. God bless.